Hello and welcome to Biff's World, a world of wonderful, scary, strange, beautiful, and magnificent short stories. In Biff's World, you never know what might be waiting just around the next corner. Are you ready? Good. You're entering the world of the collection called Priceless Words, published by Seven Horns Publishing in New York City. Each week, we'll be bringing you a new episode of a story. Today, we begin episode one of the game. This is Biff Price. Fasten your seatbelt. This is one of the best rides you'll take in Podville. Poochie Chambers was a strange little man who lived off the grid. His father had left his mother before he was born, and his mother left him on the steps of St. Mary's Convent near Matawan, New Jersey, a week after his birth. At the age of 18, he had to wear shoes with inch-thick soles to reach five feet in height, weighed 98 pounds soaking wet, and his blue eyes looked out of a face that only a mother could love. He was also deaf and dumb. The good sisters had taken him into their orphanage, where he grew up. No one wanted to adopt him, so he lived there until he was 18. His favorite nun, Sister Madeline, took him under her wing as he grew, and she saw to it that he learned sign language and to read and write. She smiled at him every day and did her best to protect him from the other children who often made fun of him. When he was eight, he found a puppy on the grounds of the convent, and he secretly kept it in a small box hidden in a garden shed, sneaking food to it from the cafeteria and watching over it until Sister Madeline had gone looking for him one day and discovered the child and the little dog together. She tried to explain that he could not keep the puppy, but her statement elicited a flood of tears, and since he could not speak, a whoosh of air from his mouth. Sister Madeline was overcome with remorse because he was in such a sad state, and she reassured him that he could keep the little animal until a good home was found for it. The sisters had to choose a name for the child when he had been left in their care, so they named him Oswald Chambers, after the early 20th century Scottish Baptist and Holiness Movement evangelist and teacher, best known for the devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. One of the sisters had been reading the book at the time, and she was the one who suggested the name. Oswald became Ozzy to the other children, and that was his name until the dog showed up. Fred Sampson, the orphanage bully, who was 13 years old, declared that Ozzy would be henceforth known as Poochie when word of the little dog reached the rest of the convent community. The dog was a mixed breed, part terrier and part spaniel, and it was as nondescript as its young master. The sisters allowed the boy to keep the dog only because of his physical infirmities, and it was the first and last dog to grace the institution. Unable to communicate aloud, Poochie Chambers wrote that he wanted Sister Madeline to name the pup, so she chose the name Spot because it was simple and easy to remember. Poochie and Spot were inseparable, 
Spot slept in Poochie's bed and went everywhere with him except to the chapel, Poochie's favorite place. It was almost always quiet in the chapel except when the sisters gathered for vespers. This never bothered Poochie when the sisters were singing because he couldn't hear anything at all. For their part, the sisters tolerated his presence because he might as well have been part of the furniture. When he was not reading books or playing with Spot, he would make his way to the chapel and sit silently in the back row, looking at the powerfully somber cross above him and the form of the one who hung there. Because he could not hear or speak, others assumed that Poochie was not very bright. Because he had no frame of reference, he did not know what it was to be either smart or dumb. He only knew that he liked to read books, and he loved to play with his dog. He was, for the most part, shunned by the other children and teens and residents at the orphanage. No one knew his secret. The highest IQ in human beings was estimated to be between 250 and 300 points on the measurable scale. The late William James Sidis held the title, but the man had died in anonymity and done nothing to merit adulation. Other less intelligent men, such as Albert Einstein, were well known as true geniuses all over the world. Pucci Chambers' IQ could not be measured. No one would have ever thought to test the intelligence of a deaf mute living in a convent orphanage. The boy loved to read. Pucci had a photographic memory. By the age of nine, he had read the Bible from cover to cover. He remembered every word of it. There was a small library at the orphanage. Pucci read every book in it. The sisters had their own library of sacred books as well as recreational reading. Pucci devoured all of them. Being so different from so-called normal people, Pucci sensed that if he revealed his ability, especially to the other kids, he would be ostracized, pummeled, and beaten even more than he already was. He had read enough to know that he had to keep his secret from the sisters as well. He was afraid that he would be regarded as a freak and locked up in some government institution to be evaluated and studied. He kept a low profile. Sadly, Sister Madeline fell ill with cancer, and she died when Poochie was 13 years old. And Spot was hit by a delivery truck in the convent parking lot two months later. Poochie cried for his dog and Sister Madeline every night. But no one heard his sobs. He'd lost his protector and pup. He was more alone than he had ever been. He spent hours sitting in the pew in the chapel, staring silently at the man on the cross. The sisters felt sorry for Pucci. Knowing that he would never amount to anything, the Reverend Mother Beatrix allowed Pucci to do small jobs around the convent. Pucci always followed orders perfectly. No one knew that this was because he never forgot anything. He had perfect recall. She also allowed him to take the town bus to the local library, and he spent his Saturdays there reading every book in sight. The people at the library thought of him as a model visitor because he did not make noise. Pucci found new things to occupy his mind. 
He fell in love with mathematics. He memorized every textbook on the subject. When a librarian showed him how to use a computer, he was off and running. The young woman had explained to him that he had to be careful about what was true and not true on the internet. She'd given him a printed pamphlet that clearly outlined the pitfalls and the benefits of being online. At 15, he had read every textbook on mathematics, physics, and science, and the librarians had ordered in books for him not available in the town library. They thought that he was pretending to read such difficult subjects, and no one had any idea that the small, slight, silent boy with the homely face had any clear idea about anything. When Pucci turned 18, the Reverend Mother asked the local chapter of the Association of Retardant Citizens, ARC, to find him a home for the family that would be willing to take him in. The thought was that a job could be found for him, perhaps at a Goodwill store, or maybe with some other organization that hired handicapped people. To the surprise and dismay of the sisters, Pucci disappeared. The police were called, but no trace of him could be found. It was as if he had left the face of the earth. Missing children often appear on milk cartons, but Pucci was anything but photogenic. Pucci Chambers wore a disguise from that day forward. He made his way to Atlantic City, walked into a casino, and sat down at a blackjack table. The dealer, a middle-aged woman, looked at him and said, You can't be old enough to be at this table. You'll have to leave. Pucci handed her a driver's license with his picture on it. It looked real, and it stated that he was 22 years old. He had a mustache, glasses, wore his hair long, and his clothing was neat and pressed. Why can't you speak to me? I want to hear your voice, the dealer said. Pucci handed her a card that read, I am mute and deaf. I read lips and use sign language. Please don't discriminate against me. Her look softened. She said, all right, but do you know how to play this game? If you do, I suggest that you find a less expensive table. This is a $25 minimum. Pucci placed a $100 bill on the table. The dealer gave him his chips. Thirty minutes later, he smiled, got down from his stool, and took $500 in chips to the cash cage to cash them in. The dealer watched him leave, smiling at his back. She was thinking how sad it would be not to be able to speak or hear. In the next two hours, Pucci won $500 at blackjack tables in four other casinos, then took his winnings to his car, a 10-year-old Honda Civic parked in the Tropicana garage. He left the garage and took the Black Horse Pike out of the city to a motel a mile from town. Being deaf, he was taking great risks to drive. But he did so by observing speed limits and his mirrors. He went on to his room and counted his money. He had $2,500 in winnings. This would be his bankroll. The motel was inexpensive compared to the hotels in Atlantic City. He kept his living expenses low. For dinner, he had a Big Mac, Coke, and fries in the small refrigerator. Pucci didn't bother to turn on the TV. He never looked at TV. Instead, he picked up a book on quantum physics with a bookmark near the middle. He read more on the subject while he ate. 
He was about to turn 19, and he was pretending that he was over 21. In that week, he won over $10,000 at the casinos in $500 amounts. He was a master of numbers, a genius at odds, and having perfect recall didn't hurt. From reading about the casino industry, he knew they watched for card counters and subterfuge. Maintaining a low profile was the only way to go. He gave himself three weeks in Atlantic City. He had no desire for confrontation. Pucci played for another two weeks. He stuck with blackjack and avoided other games. Slots were of no interest to him, neither was craps. He knew his diminutive size caused him to stick out like a sore thumb as he moved through crowds of normal-sized people. So, he never walked through a casino in the same direction. He never played at the same tables. He had no desire to become known. Pucci wasn't greedy. At the end of three weeks, he had won $53,000. It was time to head for Vegas. He had noticed a large Catholic church when he had come on to the southern end of Absecon Island and driven through Longport and Margate. He'd already checked out of his motel. All his worldly possessions were in his car. He stopped at the church and waited till an old woman had left the church. He moved swiftly down the aisle and placed a white envelope on the altar. In neat script on the outside of the envelope, he had written, For him and his great work. Pucci left the church. A half hour later, Father John Kelly found the envelope, opened it, and discovered $10,000 inside. He went down on his knees and bowed his head. Thank you, Lord, thank you. The unexpected gift would help the church meet its budget shortfall for the previous three months. Pucci drove into Summers Point and began his journey westward. He preferred back roads and scenery whenever he could avoid busy highways. He did not need a GPS system. He had memorized all the maps from New Jersey to Nevada. It took him nine days to get to Vegas. He had stopped often to gaze at new sights. Chapter 2 Atlantic City, New Jersey has a population of 39,551 people and eight casinos. Las Vegas, Nevada has a population of 603,488, a total metropolitan area population of 2 million 27,828 people, and 76 casinos. Pucci had improved his odds, and he also now had the ability to amass a fortune and achieve his dream. Fifteen of the 25 largest hotels in the world are on or near the Strip in Las Vegas, but these were too expensive, too flashy, and offered too much exposure to the likes of someone who looked like Pucci Chambers. He had no credit cards, and he never intended to have one. He paid cash. Las Vegas is a city where cash, in proper amounts, would not run up a red flag. Pucci found lodging at a small, relatively cheap hotel at the edge of town. He planned his campaign, eating fast food, and drawing a schedule on a business desk-sized calendar that he purchased at a Staples store. He could win larger amounts at many Vegas casinos than he had in Atlantic City and still maintain a low profile. He'd gotten a list of every Vegas club, and he carefully laid out a six-month course of action. He would run the list the way a high roller would run the table. 
He would devote Monday through Friday to his work, as he thought of it. Saturdays, he would be in the library. Sundays, he would go to church. Seven months in, Pucci made an offer on a house in Summerlin Village, west of Vegas. By this time, he had a completely fabricated persona in the name of Walter J. Henderson. Digging in newspaper files, he'd chosen the name of a man who had been dead for a hundred years. He was careful to find the right people to help him prepare the documentation. Cash was the grease that turned the wheel. He had a birth certificate, driver's license, and social security card, all of which looked authentic. Pucci had a large safe installed in the wall of the wine cellar in the basement of his new house. He upgraded his car to a late model beige Buick. He had his house furnished and decorated by the small design firm in Summerlin, and then he began the third phase of his plan. Pucci fed his mind by spending as much time as possible at two nearby libraries, Summerlin Library on Inner Circle and Rainbow Library on North Buffalo Drive. A year had passed and his fortune was growing. In early June, he was in the Summerlin Library on a Saturday when his life changed forever. Pucci was on a computer searching out places that he thought he might consider for his final move. He had always been fascinated by the Pacific Northwest, and he found a picture that was absolutely beautiful. It was a scene photographed along the Pacific Coast Highway. He looked at where the shot had been taken. It was in Oregon. The town was named Cannon Beach. Pucci Chambers had found his destination. He knew that one day he would live in that town, but there was much to do before he could ever go there. He spent 45 minutes scrolling through pictures of the rocks, beaches, and communities along the Oregon coast. But he always found himself drawn back to Cannon Beach. He looked up and discovered that the hours had flown by too quickly. The library would be closing in 15 minutes. He exited from the program, signed off, and stood up. As he turned around, he met the eyes of a young woman sitting at a table a few feet away. She was blonde with warm brown eyes and an attractive face. She looked away, and Pucci looked down at the floor. Women, old and young, had no time for Pucci. He was too small, and he was not attractive. He never expected to go on a date, much less have someone fall in love with him. Pucci made his way to the door, went to his car, and drove home. Months passed, and Pucci steadily saved his winnings. The amount of money in his safe had passed the million-dollar mark. His routine continued. He was still a long way from his goal. He did not have a bank account, and he did not want one. He wanted no parts of a world that would eat him alive, given the chance. Having so much money in cash was a problem, and he intended to get a lot more to build his dream. He tried not to worry about the logistics of it. Six months later, he was in the casino at the Monte Carlo in Vegas, sitting at a blackjack table where two men opposite him were having a conversation. He developed an incredibly adept ability to read lips, primarily because of his need for self-preservation, and he watched with interest what they were saying to each other. Did you hear about the game? What game? There are games everywhere. This whole city is one big game. 
the man laughed. Well, this is different. There's supposed to be a, a blackjack game played in Vegas by the highest of high rollers. It's by invitation only. I heard that you have to put up five million to play if you're even invited to the game. It's never held in the same place, and the man who runs it is so secretive that no one knows his name. Well, that's great. We don't have to worry about that, do we? Who cares? You got five million? I'm lucky if I got five hundred. Hey, it's a great story. Maybe they can make a movie about it. I'm cashing out. I've got to get home. Poochie played the hand, took his chips, and walked to the window to get his money. All the while, he was thinking, the game? Maybe I could play it. If it's real. Tune in next week for episode two of The Game. This is Biff Price in Biff's World. Join me next time and come visit again. Biff's World is a place where you can get lost in wonder.